Amen. I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Uh, as we continue to look here in the Word of God and see what God's truth has to say about uh, these end time events. And so as we began to look at this last, uh, last week, uh, preached through 1 Thessalonians. And after preaching through 1 Thessalonians, uh, uh, you know, the question uh, that God just kept putting on my heart is, is uh, what next, right? We, we see the fact that the resurrection is going to take place in the uh, uh, book of Thessalonians. We find there that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. We also see the very fact that uh, not only is the resurrection going to take place, we see the fact that also uh, the rapture is going to play, take place. So not only the dead in Christ going to rise first, but those who are alive and remain shall be called up together to meet them in the clouds of glory. And so then we saw that there's going to be seven years of tribulation. At the end of that seven years of tribulation, there's going to be the day of the Lord when Jesus is going to literally return and He's going to step foot down upon this earth immediately. He's going to begin His 1,000 year millennial reign and that's what we looked at last week as the 1000 year millennial reign of Jesus Christ but more specifically the fact that Jesus Christ is king amen Jesus Christ is king Jesus Christ is not just king but Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords there is none like him and there has never been any like him nor will there ever be any like him Jesus Christ is absolute king now what's going to take place what's going to take place at the end of that 1000 year millennial reign well that's what we're going to look at this uh, morning as we look at Revelation chapter 20 beginning in verse 11. So as we look at this and we begin to understand here are these events that are laid out in the chronological order. That last thing that's going to take place at the uh, end of the 1,000 year millennial reign. It's going to be the great white throne judgment of God. And I believe... You know, as we look at this, we see the most terrifying event in all of Scripture. We see the most terrifying event uh, that could ever happen, period. You know, as when I was an evangelist, I was a full-time evangelist, I'd have people tell me all the time, all those evangelists, all they ever want to do is they, they just want to scare people, right? They just want to scare people out of hell. They, they want to scare people into walking down uh, that aisle. And I would always tell folks, well, if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, yeah, I want to scare them. I want them to be scared. If they do know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then they don't have a thing in this world to be scared of. Now, we're having Heaven's Gates and the Hell's Flames in a few weeks, and so I've been inviting other churches, been uh, encouraging other pastors to come and let their youth groups come and let their church groups come. And something that I hear from some other pastors, and these are pastors that are telling me, well, all that does is try to scare people. Well, if they're not saved, they need to be scared. Amen? And when folks tell me things like that what I like to tell them is what, what you need to do you don't need to just read some of your Bible you need to read all of your Bible amen because the consistency of the word of God is that there is a place called hell and it is absolutely real and those that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ are going to end up there and they're going to be there forever and ever and ever and ever and they will never escape there's no place called purgatory 
purgatory. We don't find that anywhere within the Word of God. The Bible tells us there's a heaven and only those who have received Jesus Christ by faith are going to go there. And there is a hell and those who have rejected the grace of God, they, they have received opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior, but they have rejected the grace of God. They have rejected the mercy of God and they're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one of these days and they're going to be found guilty and they're going to be cast into the lake of fire and there they're going to be forever and ever and ever. And so that's what we find here within this text of Scripture. We find what I believe is the most terrifying event that is ever going to take place in all of the history of the world. And if you're lost and this doesn't scare you, then I don't know what will. Amen? Now again, as Christians, we have nothing to be scared of. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you what, you don't have to wait for the time of invitation to come down here and get saved. You can walk down here right now. We'll stop everything. We will talk to you. We will counsel you. I can restart this sermon at any time. You come right now. Don't you wait because friends, I want you to know that hell is real and if you die before you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to go there and you're never going to have the opportunity to get out ever, ever, ever again. Not for all eternity. That's why we have events like Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. That's why we preach on the subject of hell. Yes, I want lost people to be scared. I want lost people to be terrified. I also want Christians to understand the reality of hell because as Christians understand the reality of hell, they're going to be more likely to pray for lost people and they're going to be more likely to share the gospel with lost people. So, though it's not the favorite subject to preach on, and listen, we need to also preach on the grace of God. We need to preach on the love of God. We need to preach on the mercy of God and the long-suffering of God. We need to balance those things out. It doesn't need to all be hellfire and brimstone. Amen? And so as we look at that and we begin to understand, if you ever see a preacher preaching on hell with a smile in his face and gladness in his voice, then friends, don't walk but run. Get away from him. Amen? Uh, we ought to preach on these things with a broken heart of understanding that lost people will wind up there and as Christians we should be compelled to go and share the gospel message with all of the lost world. And so as we look at this, Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, the Bible says right here, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. I'm going to stop right there. We're going to talk about the rest of this uh, in later weeks and weeks to come. And so as we look at that, here we come to this text of Scripture where it is that the Apostle John, he saw this great white throne and he saw one who sat upon it and he saw the dead that were standing before this great white throne. Again, the most terrifying text of Scripture within all of the Word of God. And this morning, we're going to look at exactly why it's the most terrifying Scripture within all 
of the Word of God. But friends, the subject of hell is all over the Bible. The subject of hell is all over the Old Testament. You say, well, we don't live in the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament with a God of grace. Well, guess what? He was God of grace in the Old Testament as well. Amen. But He's also a God of wrath in the New Testament as well. And we see that uh, we see here uh, the Apostle, we see John the Baptist. As John the Baptist was preaching in Luke chapter 3 and verse 7, he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? But something that might surprise you is that nobody preached on hell. Nobody taught about hell. No single individual within all of the Word of God taught more about the subject of hell than Jesus Christ Himself. Amen. Jesus taught more about hell than any other person within all of the Word of God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, He said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In Luke, in, in Luke chapter 16 and verse 23, Jesus told us that hell is a place of eternal torment. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 43, we find these words, if, you, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If you, it is better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands and go into hell into the unquenchable fire. Who said that? Jesus said that. He said it's better for you to go to, to heaven crippled than to go into hell of being whole. And so as we look, at, we look at that word of God right there, what did Jesus say about hell? He said it is an unquenchable fire, a fire that is never going to be extinguished, a fire that is never going to be put out. We find there also in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 42, Jesus referring to hell and he says it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body but, but are unable to, to kill the soul, but fear rather him who is able to destroy both the soul and the the body in hell. So as we look at this, Jesus taught many things. We could go on and on and on and on about the different things that Jesus himself said about hell. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 through 27 says this. This says, for if we go on sinning willfully. What does that mean? That we have not repented. We refuse to repent. We have heard the gospel. We understand the gospel. We, we could probably even share the gospel but if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, after we do that, if we do that, in other words, we're not repented, we heard the gospel message, but we absolutely refuse to accept it, we absolutely refuse to repent, we absolutely refuse to come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. In other words, we say no to the grace of God. We say no to the mercy of God. We say no to the love of of God. We reject the very sacrifice of God. We reject the very fact that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We say no to that. We say, no, I, I love my sins, God, more than I love you. I'm going to live in this world because I love this world, God, more than I love you. I, I don't want to accept you. I don't want to receive you. I'd rather have 
the things that this world offers. I'd rather live in the flesh. I'd rather live in accordance to my own lust than to live for you. So God, I am not going to repent. God said, for those who refuse to repent, for we that go on sinning willfully, it's our own will, it's our own choice, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Why does there no longer remain a sacrifice for sin? Because they've rejected the one and only sacrifice for sin, and that's Jesus. They've rejected Jesus Christ. The only one that paid the price for their sin, and they have rejected Him. But what awaits them? But a terrifying expectation of judgment. A terrifying expectation of judgment. You know what they can expect? They can expect judgment, and according to the Word of God, that expectation of judgment is Terrifying, a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. That's what awaits the, 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 the unrepentant. That's what awaits those who have rejected and turned their back upon the grace of God. That's what awaits those who have heard the gospel but refuse to accept the gospel. That's what awaits those who continue willingly in their sin, turning their back upon the person of Jesus Christ who laid his life down on the cross of Calvary, who was crucified, who shed his precious blood in order for us to be saved. They turned their back upon him and they said no. So what they should expect, they should expect nothing less because they have rejected the one and only sin offering, which is Jesus. Jesus, what they should expect, a terrifying expectation of judgment. A terrifying expectation of judgment. They should be terrified. They ought to be terrified. They shouldn't be able to rest. They shouldn't have a moment of peace within their life. They shouldn't have a full night's rest, a single day of their life. They should have that terrifying expectation of judgment that should absolutely cause them to tremble. Friends, every single one should. That's why we ought to preach on the subject of hell. That's why we ought to teach on the subject of hell. That's why we ought to have visual representations and dramas and whatever it takes to show people the reality that there is a place called hell. And if you don't trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to go there. Yes, we show them the other side that God loves you. God loves you enough to send His Son to die for you. And if you repent from those sins and you trust in Jesus Christ, Christ, you will be saved and you will go to everlasting paradise with Jesus forever and ever and ever. But if you don't turn to Him, if you don't trust in Him, there is a terrifying expectation of judgment. We think things upon this earth are terrifying. We, we think things upon this earth are fearful, but friends, we, we have no idea. Amen? In fact, we could get in some life situations, some life circumstances, some life events where, where we're, we, we are terrified. And I'm not downplaying it. Is a terrifying, uh, it is a terrifying thing. 
You know, my, my, uh, my, I, I wasn't raised in Bugaloosa, but my dad and all of my dad's side of the family was, are from Bugaloosa. My dad, he went to Bugaloosa High School from his freshman year to his senior year. He played football on the football team. He was out there uh, every time they had a home game on their home team. My great uncle Carson Odom, he was the foreman. He was, he was the contractor, rather, uh, of the ones that built the Bugaloosa High School football football stadium, Lumberjack Stadium. He was the contractor that built that stadium. My wife went to Bugaloosa High School. I can't tell you how many times that I've been in Lumberjack Stadium. Been there many, many times. I've actually stood on the 50-yard line right in the center of that field and faced a crowd of people and shared the gospel with them. But this past Friday night at a homecoming game in Bogalusa, Louisiana, the football field was out there on the team. They, they just scored a point. Bogalusa High School just scored a point, and then all of a sudden, gunshot, gun, gunshots started firing out, and they heard the gunshots. Nobody knew where the gunshots were coming from. Both teams ran to the locker room. All of the officials ran to the locker room. People in the stands were running all kinds of different directions. So some of them were getting underneath the bleachers. Some of them were literally parents laying on top of their children, guarding their children, not knowing where the gunshots was coming from, not knowing if a bullet was coming their way. That had to have been a terrifying situation, and that hits home with me because that's a place I'm familiar with. Not just some place that you see on TV that you've never known about, you've never been there, but I've been there. I know that place. Bogalusa has gunshots every week, every week. There, there, there's gunshots every week there, there are, are, are regularly. There's murders. And the people there are terrified. And friends, maybe you've been through a terrifying situation within your life. Maybe you've been through a traumatic situation within your life. But as we look here within the Word of God, the Bible says right here in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, it says, Then I saw, then I saw, these are the words of the Apostle John being written down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Then I saw, John was seeing, future events all throughout the book of Revelation. He was writing down the things in which he saw and this thing in which he saw is the most terrifying event in human history. Though it's a future event, it is the most terrifying event. And friends, I want you to understand there is no life experience that you can face that compares to the utter terror of what it is that John saw. For those who are going to experience it, for those who are going to go through it, what John saw in that future event, there is no life experience that will compare to the other terror that John saw. I've heard of people having nightmares, nightmares so violent where they literally injure themselves, nightmares so violent that they literally injure others that are in the same bed with them, those nightmares and those night terrors that just haunt them and I'm not making light of them, they're horrible 
terrible for them. But there is no nightmare that can compare to the utter horror of that which John saw that's going to take place in a future event. Here it is. We live in a day and age where Hollywood makes all kinds of horror films and horror flicks and they want to try to scare the socks off of you and try to get you as terrified as you can possibly get. But friends, not even Hollywood can conjure up a movie that will terrify you to the extent of what it is that John saw upon that future day of those the dead that are standing before the great white throne and those who are standing before the one who is sitting upon it and that judgment that is about to befall them. As we look here, we live in, here it is in October, what happens in October? You have all kinds of spook houses and haunted houses and things like that and people trying to terrify you. People are trying to scare you. And I want you to understand as I see advertising as you know, the, 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 the most terrifying haunted house or the most terrifying spook house, but there is no spook house that will compare to what it is that John saw upon that future day. What is it that John saw upon that future day? He saw a great white throne. He saw one that was sitting upon that great white throne. And he saw the dead that was standing before the great white throne. As we see that, what it is that John saw, he saw the living God sitting on his judgment seat before the very ones of whom he was about to judge. As we saw there in the book of Hebrews, that they have a terrifying expectation of judgment the expectation is now gone the judgment is now there it is upon them there's no longer an expectation there is no longer a wait they have refused to repent they have refused to turn to the grace of God they have refused to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior the expectation is gone now is the judgment it has come it has it is now before them and I want you to understand there is only the judge and those who are being judged there is no defense attorney that is going to argue their case there is no jury that is going to hear their case. There is no one that is going to appeal their case. There is no one that is going to overrule their case. They are guilty. They know they're guilty. They know they stand condemned. They know what is about to take place. They have now stood before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as they have seen them, as the Word of God says that when Jesus comes, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord that has already happened now they know they stand condemned and there's not a thing in the world that they could do about it absolutely nothing whatsoever but even the righteous who have stood before the Lord, Isaiah who stood before the Lord, Isaiah who saw the Lord lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple, seraphim stood before him, each having six wings with two, they flew with two, they covered their face with two, they covered their feet as one called out to the other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then what did the righteous prophet of God do? What did the 
righteous man of God do that he'd jump up and down with his tambourines and start singing and shouting praises then he'd start running around the building and singing hallelujah praise the Lord I'm in the praise presence of the king of kings and the Lord of lords I'm in the presence of God he said no he said woe is me for I am ruined I am undone I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. When Isaiah, the prophet of God, the man of God, stood in the very presence of God, he realized even he in his righteousness and the very calling of being a prophet was not worthy to stand before such a holy God. He was ruined. He was undone. Even Peter, when Peter was in the boat and Peter only got a glimpse of Jesus, Because Jesus was veiled in the flesh. He only got a glimpse of the fullness of Jesus. He said, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinner. Oh, but thank God for the blood. Amen? Thank God for the blood. Praise God for the blood. Oh, how hopeless we would be apart from the blood. The very fact that apart from the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sin. And the fact that Jesus Christ shed His blood on the cross of Calvary that washes away even the deepest, darkest stain of sin and removes our sin away from us as far as the east is from the west. But what do we have to do? We have to turn to Jesus. We have to believe on Jesus but these that are standing before God this very day are the dead what is the symbolism of the fact that they are dead not symbolism but reality of the fact that they are dead the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 it says and you were dead in your transgressions and sin what does that mean because of the sin within your life you are separated from God you're dead your body might be living your heart might be beating your lungs might be breathing you might go to the doctor the doctor says that you're a picture of health but according to God you're dead because you have those sins within your life but when you trust in Jesus you believe on Jesus you call upon the name of Jesus you believe on him for salvation those sins are wiped away They're gone, and you exit out of death and you enter into life the dead that are there that day They've never done that. They've never come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And now here it is that judgment has come. They know judgment has come. They know that there's nothing that they could do about it. They know that they're going to fully deserve what is about to happen to them. They understand that none of them are going to be begging and pleading for grace because the day of grace is gone. None of them are going to be begging and pleading for mercy because the dead, the day of mercy is gone and they understand that. None of them are going to say, oh, but I thought you were a loving God. He is a loving God. How much does He love you? Enough to send His Son to die on the cross for you. But they rejected Him. None of them are going to argue before God because they're going to know full well. And upon this terrifying day, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30 and 31 tells us, For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay And again, the Lord will judge His 
people, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And friends, upon this very day, they will fall into the hands of a living God. And you better believe it is a terrifying thing. Oh, praise God for the gospel. Praise God for the grace of God. Praise God for His mercy. Praise God for His love. Praise God for His compassion. Praise God for that faithful day that you came to know Jesus Christ as His Lord, as your Lord, and as your Savior. But friends, this world is full of lost people, and it is our job to share the gospel with them to where they won't face that terrifying day. The terrifying day is coming. And all of the dead who reject are going to stand before this great white throne. Every single one of them will stand before this great white throne. And they, the judgment is already set. The rejection of Jesus. They're sinners. They're wicked. They're unrighteous. And the only thing that makes us righteous is a relationship with Jesus. And they have rejected that relationship with Jesus. They said no. Maybe many times over they said no. I, praise God, accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior one day. December the 26th of 1996. I'll never forget it. Absolutely transformed my life. But friends, I want you to understand there was a many a time I rejected the gospel before that. And I praise God He gave me one last chance. Many people that God put in my path that shared the gospel with me, and I heard it, and I understood it. I even believed it to be true. But I didn't put my faith in Jesus. I praise God that God had grace on me one more time. And I was saved. Friends, we don't ever know when that one more time is it. That's done. No more. That was your last opportunity. That was your last chance. They stand before that great white throne. What makes that great white throne great? The very one who sits upon it. The word throne is used over 50 times in the book of Revelation alone. Most of the time it's talking about God's throne, but this particular time it's called a great throne. Revelation chapter 19, we find that all of the kings of the earth are going to come after Jesus. They're going to assemble all of their armies and they're going to come and they're going to gather together and join together with the beast and with the false prophet and they're going to come after Jesus. But then we find that one who's coming down and riding down on that white horse that we looked at last week and he is coming down and written upon his thigh is King of kings and Lord of lords and upon his head is not just one but many diadems and you know what he's going to do he's going to take the beast who is the antichrist and he's going to cast him into the lake of fire he's going to snatch up that that false prophet and he's going to snatch him into the lake of fire and the kings of the earth will not stand a chance jesus will slay them with the sword that comes out of his mouth they'll not stand a chance we look at the kings of the earth today as being powerful, but friends, I want you to understand they're absolutely nothing. 
We're worried about the price of oil right now. Why? Because the Saudi kingdom is saying it's going up. There's nothing we can do about it. Well, that's not exactly true, but we don't have time to get into all of that right now. Friends, I want you to understand the throne's great because of the one who's sitting on it. The white throne, why is it white? Because of the one who's sitting on it. White is a symbol of purity and there is no one more pure than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the essence of purity. He is absolute purity. In every way, every form in Revelation chapter 19, we, see, we saw last week that he judges and he makes war, but how does he do it? He does it righteously. And when he judges, he's going to judge righteously. Every one of them are going to know that what they're getting, they deserve. Every one of them. Do we have unrighteous judges today? Absolutely. Heard about a judge that sent somebody to jail the other day, that somebody came to jury duty of all things. (laughs) Didn't have a mask on his face. Judge decides to send him to jail. That was about as unjust as it gets. Didn't even have a mask mandate in the place. Just because he wanted to. It's unjust. He needs to be held accountable. But Jesus is absolutely just. He is absolutely fair. Friends, there's only two ways to respond to the reality of hell. If you believe hell is real, as we're going to see as we continue to look at this text of Scripture, as we're going to see they're ultimately going to be cast into the lake of fire. There they're going to be forever. If we truly believe that that place is real, as Christians I'm talking about, as Christians if we truly believe that place is real, We would tell everybody we know about the way out. Amen? We'd tell everyone we know. We'd make that our life's mission to tell everyone we know, especially our family, our friends, our loved ones, about the way out, and the only way out is Jesus. Our praise team can go ahead and make their way up this way this morning. You can go ahead and stand. So the reality of hell ought to do two things. Number one, it ought to compel every single Christian to pray. To pray for the lost. This isn't just a ritual or routine that we're starting on Sunday mornings to come up here and to pray and put names of lost people in these crosses and to pray for them. Coming because our heart is broken because these people are going to end up in an eternity of hell. And I can't stand the thought. My heart is so moved and so broken that I'm going to pray for them. But then as I get up from this altar and walk out, I'm going to share with them. I'm going to tell them hell is real, but you don't have to go there.
is Jesus saved. There's only one response if you're lost today. And that is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Put your faith and trust in Him. Do you know that you know that you know? Right now, as this invitation starts, do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? That you're bound for glory. Listen, this is nothing to gamble over. This is nothing to think about. This is nothing to hope over. Or I'm pretty sure... You better know. Do you know today? If not, come on down. I'll pray with you. I'll counsel you. I'll talk to you. There's really only one thing you need to do, and that's put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Would you do that today, right now, as God so stirs? Church, y'all come and pray. Lost folks, you come. Receive Jesus Christ. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He shares on our way while we do His good will. He abides with us still. Trust.